Hey Millennial, I am so excited about episode one of the Revival Podcast for Millennial Women. We are going to start with the foundations of faith, which is just a great place to start because honestly, we've got to get our get our facts straight here with who God is, who Jesus is, who the Holy Spirit is, why we read the Bible, all of these different really important things that contribute to our faith and understanding who we are and who God is. So we are going to start with a huge topic that we couldn't possibly cover in one episode, um, but we are just going to kind of do like an overview, a survey of this topic. Our topic is who is God and specifically who is God the Father. And again, when I say that, it just, it really makes me laugh because I just think there's no way we're going to cover everything we need to cover. But let's go ahead and do our best. And before we even dig into today's episode, I just want to affirm that wherever you're at in your faith journey, whether you're just starting out or whether you've been a Christian for a long time, everyone is welcome here. And there's always more to learn and relearn. And so even these like really foundational topics, we can always be learning more and digging deeper with them. And I want to point your attention to today's foundational text, which is Isaiah 40. And we're also going to go into a bit of Isaiah 41. Hey, Millennial, welcome to the Revival Podcast for Millennial Women, where you can come as you are, where you are in your faith journey. We're here to explore who God is and what he has to say through studying his words in the Bible. Hi, I'm Catherine Elise, and each week it's my intention to take important, relevant topics and examine them with you through the lens of God's word and the good news of Jesus. If you're here for an honest look at scripture beyond pulling random verses out of context, open to creative ways to connect with the ultimate creator and hoping for some good old fashioned critical thinking about living out your faith, you're in the right place. I mean, as a former history teacher, you know I'm not going to let us off the hook with surface level application. So grab a cup of coffee, put on your favorite sweats, and download that Bible app. Let's get started with today's topic. I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then we will dig into the topic of who is God. Lord, thank you so much. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you that we get to uh, meet with you and talk to you, that you have provided a direct means of communication and I just pray that you would open up the hearts of any woman or anyone really who is listening to this podcast right now and that you would enable them to connect with you in some way, to see a glimpse of you. And I pray that even though I am inadequate, you are adequate and you will speak through me. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would move and that I would get out of the way and (laughs) that everything that you want to say is said today. Uh, Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to worship you. And I pray that we could just rest in the knowledge that you have us completely covered, that you love us, and that you will take care of anyone who is listening to this podcast. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So in this podcast, as I said before, we are going to be rooted in the word of God. And when I was thinking about the topic of, you know, who God is, The thing that came up for me was there is no one, literally no one, who is more capable, let's just say, 
of describing who God is than God himself. And thankfully, God has given us great descriptions of himself all throughout scripture. And so we're going to take a look at some scripture, and by scripture I mean the Bible, from Isaiah, which is a book of prophecy. is an Old Testament book. It's a little over halfway through the Bible if you got a paper Bible. And it is an incredible book that just talks about prophecies of not only the the Israelites of the time and honestly a lot of the the prophecies there are pretty like doom and gloom (laughs) but uh, we're also going to be looking at part of Isaiah that talks about that talks about who God is God describes himself he also describes Jesus at various points and I think it's it's wonderful to just go over the qualities that God has who is he we can only really describe who he is. We are not equipped to perfectly say exactly who God is. So I have an actual Bible in front of me, so hopefully it's not too loud when I'm flipping the pages. But I wanted to talk about first that throughout the Old Testament, and Isaiah is part of the Old Testament, God is described all the time. He's constantly intervening in the history of the Israelites, and he's constantly pointing us to the future glory and everything that Jesus does on the cross, which we'll get to in future episodes. The Old Testament talks about Jesus constantly, and it also talks about God. So if you're kind of thinking, you know, I'll skip over the Old Testament, it's you're really missing out because it's got great stuff. And so I just want to do like a little plug not to overlook the, the wonderful things that you can find in the Old Testament. And there's so many affirming prophecies about what's to come, and then it does come true. And that's really a huge blessing to me every time I read it. It's so affirming. Let's take a look at how God describes himself in Isaiah 40 and 40, part of 41. I wanted to say that most of the time when I read the Bible, I read the New Living Translation or NLT, but you can also read other versions. Um, sometimes I read the ESV, which is the English standard version. I know some people really like to have kind of more the classic, (laughs) the classics, you know, like the King James version where it has like the thou's and these and all those kinds of language. But I prefer either new King James, NLT or ESV. So today I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation, but just know like your version might sound a little different. The meaning is the same. We are going to start in Isaiah 40, verse 9, and then I'm going to pause here and there and chat about who God is saying that he is. And in this chapter, God is really talking about his, what his characteristics are. So here we go. O Zion, messenger of good news, shout from the rooftops. Shout it louder, O Jerusalem. Shout and do not be afraid. Tell the towns of Judah, your God is coming. And I love that. God is coming. God is here. God is present and with us. He's not some distant God that chooses to stay removed from human history and from our personal lives. Verse 10. Yes, the sovereign Lord is coming in power. He will rule with a powerful arm. God is so strong and he has all authority. That's who God is. See, he brings his reward with him as he comes. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will carry the lambs in his arms, holding them close to his heart. He will gently lead the mother sheep with their young. God is our caretaker. 
he's so tender. He's so, he's so loving towards us. So intimate, right? Like he holds us close to his heart in his arms. I have a newborn daughter and I just think about like how, when I hold her close to me, she just feels safe and comforted and loved. And when I am searching for reassurance and when I'm feeling out of sorts, I, I go to my mom, my husband, whoever, and I just want that like closeness of, of being wrapped in their arms. And God is so tender with us. He's our caregiver. And I also love the reference to the mother sheep with their young. God cares for women and he cares for children. He will gently lead the mother sheep with their young. He's so gentle and loving with us. And yet he's so powerful. All these different qualities of him. It seems like a God who is so powerful and sovereign would not be so intimate with his people, but he is. Verse 12. Who else has held the oceans in his hand? Who has measured off the heavens with his fingers? Who else knows the weight of the earth or has weighed the mountain and the hills on a scale? Who is able to advise the spirit of the Lord? Who knows enough to give him advice or teach him? Has the Lord ever needed anyone's advice? Does he need instruction about what is good? Did someone teach him what is right or show him the paths of justice? No, for all the nations of the world are but a drop in the bucket. They are nothing more than dust on the scales. He picks up the whole earth as though it were a grain of sand. All the wood in Lebanon's forests and all Lebanon's animals would not be enough to make a burnt offering worthy of our God. The nations of the world are worth nothing to him. In his eyes, they count for less than nothing. Mere emptiness and froth. Okay, that was a lot, so let's break it down real quick. Starting in verse 12, it really talks about how big God is. He can literally hold the oceans in his hand. He's that big. Indescribably huge. <laughs> he he is bigger than anything we can imagine. And the oceans with their depth and their, their vastness and how wide they are, it's we can't even visualize what that would be like for God to be able to hold the oceans in his hand. But that is how big he is and how powerful he is. And it says, who else knows the weight of the earth? The weight of the earth. God knows how much the earth weighs. <laughs> That's crazy. He's all knowing. He knows everything that there is to know about nature. He knows everything that there is to know about everything. We cannot surprise God. Science cannot surprise God. Nothing can surprise God because he literally knows everything. It's insane. Going along that line, it says in verse 13 here, who is able to advise the spirit of the Lord? Who can give God advice? Do we know more than him that we can actually advise him and tell him what's good and what's right and what he should do? Of course not. We try to. I mean, I try to do that all the time. I try to tell him like, hey, my plan to buy a house, my plan to raise my daughter in a certain way, have her turn out a certain way, my plan to have X, Y, and Z happen in my future. I think all these plans are great, but God knows everything. He knows every scenario that could play out. He knows everything that's going to happen in my future. He knows what my heart truly needs. It's not, it's not that we can't request things from God. Of course we can, but he knows what's ultimately actually good for us. And he knows every scenario. This is verse 14. Does he need instruction about what is good? 
Did someone teach him what is right or show him the path of justice? This one can be hard sometimes because often we want God to behave in a certain way. We want whatever we believe is right to be right. But that's not always the case. Sometimes we are right and and our sense of rightness and justice aligns with God's. A lot of the time that's true. You know, God has written his law in our hearts. But at the same time, God knows what's actually right all the time. Because he is so holy, because he is so set apart from anything we can imagine, because he's so good, he he's so just and right. He knows he knows what true justice looks like. And a lot of times I think humans struggle with this. We know something's wrong. We know that it needs to be corrected and that justice needs to be done. But justice in the human world is often really dissatisfying. It's it's not, it doesn't a lot of times feel good enough. Like if someone commits a crime and then they go to jail, we have that punishment put into place. But at the same time, it's like, uh, is that true justice? Like if they committed a crime that was harmful to other people, is that true justice? Only God knows what true justice looks like and knows how to apply it properly. And we try to tell God how we want justice to happen and what we think should happen and how the how people who have done harm should be punished but really only God knows what that looks like moving along uh, verse 15 all the nations of the world are but a drop in the bucket God doesn't have any competition he has been God for infinity (laughs) he's been God forever so if there's a very powerful nation God has been powerful for longer God is not surprised when nations fall. As a history teacher, I often teach about the rise and fall of nations. And it's incredible. All these nations were like crazy powerful and they had all of the strength and all of the soldiers and all of the weapons and all of the things. And yet they fall. They're nothing more than a drop in the bucket. God has been God forever and he has been powerful forever. And any sense of power that humans have, that nations have, It's not real power because it never lasts. God's power has lasted forever. He picks up the whole earth as though it were a grain of sand. He doesn't have any competition at all. Like even the devil is not true competition to God. God can like will squash him and has squashed him. We're going to move on to verse 16, but I just wanted to make clear that in the Old Testament, before Jesus was here, Whenever there was like a sin committed, people would offer a burnt offering to God. And this was part of God's law. And it's all laid out if you want to read it in Leviticus and different parts of the Bible as well. But Leviticus has like a ton of the laws laid out and so does Deuteronomy. But I just wanted to mention that when there was a sin committed, there had to be a sacrifice to atone for that sin. And... It says here that all the wood in verse 16 in Lebanon's forests and all Lebanon's animals would not be enough to make a burnt offering worthy of our God. And so even though God required these burnt offerings, these sacrifices of animals in the Old Testament to atone, to cover for the sins of of his people, ultimately it still wasn't enough. It's like a temporary measure, but God is so holy. He's so perfect. He's so beyond anything we can imagine in terms of being pure that even if we burnt an entire forest and 
we burnt all the animals in a country, it would not be enough. It would not be enough to cover for our sins in the presence of a holy God. Nothing can cover that except Jesus, but we'll get there. In verse 17, it's kind of harsh. It says, the nations of the world are worth nothing to him. In his eyes, they count for less than nothing, mere emptiness and froth. And again, I think that this really emphasizes how the nations just don't have any power. They don't have power that registers when we compare their power to the power of God. God's power is just infinitely greater. And so nationality, it it doesn't have the strength that we think it does a lot of the times. We think it's so important what nation you're part of, but ultimately all of the nations of this earth have fallen, will fall, but God is constant. Verse 18, to whom can you compare God? What image can you find to resemble him? Can he be compared to an idol formed in a mold, overlaid with gold and decorated with silver chains? Or if people are too poor for that, they might at least choose wood that won't decay and a skilled craftsman to carve an image that won't fall down. God is indescribable. There's just no one like him. There's no image that we can find that would resemble him. I remember when I was younger, I used to think like, okay, I got to draw a picture of God, you know, for a Bible class or something like that. (laughs) I went to a Christian um, middle school and high school. So let's say I was like drawing a picture in Bible class or something. I'd be like, what could possibly symbolize God? And so I'd end up just drawing like a giant cloud because I I just like, what do you draw? (laughs) How do you draw God? There's nothing to compare him to. And so that's what that reminds me of. Also, there's this whole theme in the Old Testament and, and into the New Testament about idols. And so during this time period, when people wanted to worship their gods, they would often have a physical idol to bow down to, to worship. And you would have to create it with human hands. Obviously, like they didn't just, these idols don't just like appear. (laughs) Someone like a human has to make them. And so a lot of times in the Old Testament, God will talk about how silly it is that humans create their own idols to worship. And we do this all the time. In the Old Testament, they, they were making idols that represented gods that they worshiped. But we today, even if we're not making a physical idol of a God that we worship, we worship other things with our heart. We worship comfort. We worship relationships. We worship our jobs and money and security and just infinite things. All these things that in our hearts we trust in and we think are going to save us and make us feel good. But ultimately, these things, they fade and they don't hold up. They will decay. God doesn't decay. Verse 21. Haven't you heard? Don't you understand? Are you deaf to the words of God? The words he gave before the world began. Are you so ignorant? Sometimes God, he gets a little um, straightforward here. God sits above the circle of the earth and people below seem like grasshoppers to him. He spreads out the heavens like a curtain and makes his tent from them. He judges the great people of the world and brings them all to nothing. They hardly get started, barely taking root, when he blows on them and they wither. The wind carries them off like chaff. So again, God has existed even before the world began. He has always existed. He's infinite and he is eternal. He's also so big and so mighty that the people below seem like grasshoppers to him. 
It says that he spreads out the heavens like a curtain and makes his tent from them. He's the creator. He created literally everything. So I think it's funny when we, when we call people creators, you know, like if someone has a YouTube channel or something, they're called creators and they are, they're creating things, but God created everything first. And anything that we create, it is not something unique. It's something that God has already given us the abilities, the skills, the talents to be able to create because he is the first and the original creator and anything we create afterwards, it's just a shadow of what he's already created or rearranging the things he's created to make something different. I like how this verse is really affirming to me. Verse 23, he judges the great people of the world and brings them all to nothing. And when I get discouraged about the state of our world (laughs) and the people who are in power, no matter what end of the spectrum, political spectrum you fall on, you're probably disappointed with people who are in power. And power, human power, it doesn't even compare. It doesn't even register to God's power. And he is the ultimate judge. He is eternal and we are vapor. We will fade. We will literally fade and eventually we will die. But God, he is eternal. He will always be there. Verse 25, to whom will you compare me? Who is my equal? Says the Holy One. I like that. God is so unique. He's so different. There's no, there's no one, nothing in this entire universe or anything else that exists that I don't know about that compares to God. He's totally himself. Verse 26, look up into the heavens. Who created all the stars? He brings them out like an army, one after another calling each by its name. Because of his great power and incomparable strength, not a single one is missing. Can you imagine having that much knowledge in your brain? (laughs) Every time I read that, I'm just like, who knows the names of all the stars? There's so many of them, but God does. And he knows the names of all of his people and he knows the heart of all of his people. He is incomparably strong. He is almighty. Verse 27, O Jacob, How can you say the Lord does not see your troubles? O Israel, how can you say God ignores your rights? Have you never heard? Have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youths will become weak and tired, and young men will fall in exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. And that's the end of chapter 40. I love that ending. Those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They'll find God's strength, right? Because he's the one who doesn't grow weary. (laughs) Can you imagine not growing weary? God is self-sufficient. He doesn't need anything. He doesn't need water. He doesn't need rest. I know he does rest. It says that in you know Genesis chapter one, but he doesn't need that. He doesn't need food. He doesn't need anything. He is self-sufficient and he can give us that kind of power. We can tap into God's power when, when we align ourselves with him. It's incredible. He doesn't grow weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. I love that. You guys, he can, he can fully understand you. 
you are truly known and deeply loved by God. He knows every single thing about you. He knows everything you've ever done. He knows every thought you've ever had. He knows every time you failed. And he searches your heart daily and he chooses to love you. Chooses to love me. It's just, it's wild. The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. Love that. From everlasting to everlasting. That's our God. I also love in verse 29, it says he gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Human beings create this hierarchy. This is actually really interesting. I talk to my world history students about this all the time because humans create hierarchy. All these different societies of the past, there's almost always a hierarchy. There might be a king or queen at the top. There might be nobles. There might be, you know, some super terrible race-based hierarchy. There might be just all kinds of different like social structures that humans put into place and say like this person, they have power and this person, they're lowly. And God gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. He just completely flips that on its head. It doesn't mean anything to God if you are powerful in the world sense. He has all the power. He doesn't compete with anybody. And so when we're sitting here thinking, oh, this person has so much power, okay, but God, (laughs) but God is above that. He doesn't subscribe to the same power structures that, that human beings do. Only what God has put into place matters. And if you're someone who is lower socially in whatever social hierarchy humans have created for whatever reason, God gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. You might not have a worldly sense of power, but God, he has the ability to just give you any power you need to accomplish his will. He has all authority. He doesn't need anyone's permission. He's our strength. We're going to skip down to chapter 41, verses 2 through 4. Who has stirred up this king from the east? I mean, this is a reference to like a literal king. (laughs) We're not going to go too much into the history here because I just want to focus on God's character. Who has stirred up this king from the east, rightly calling him to God's service? Who gives this man victory over many nations and permits him to trample their kings underfoot? With his sword, he reduces armies to dust. With his bow, he scatters them like chaff before the wind. He chases them away and goes on safely, though he was walking over unfamiliar ground. Who has done such mighty deeds? summoning each new generation from the beginning of time. It is I, the Lord, the first and the last. I alone am he. So again, even when kings are rising in a very worldly sense, like literal kings are taking over nations during this time, when they are having victory over many nations, as it says, God is still in control. God can use those people, even if they aren't people who believe in him. He does it all the time in the Old Testament. He uses people to accomplish his plan and his will. But I want to focus on God's character here. God is one who has done mighty deeds. He summons each new generation from the beginning of time. Every generation. And he has a plan for every single generation. He is the Lord, the first and the last. The first and the last. There is no other God. He alone is the Lord. He has no competition and he brings forth all things and he uses all things. So even when we're so discouraged by what's going on in the world or what's, who has power and who's doing X, Y, Z, I'm not saying those things don't matter. They have very real effects on the lives of the people living in those countries. And God is intimate 
in his love of the people that those people in power are either abusing or helping. But I also want to say that God is the one who is in control and he will continue to be stronger than any worldly leaders that we have. Any presidents, any people in Congress, any kings, queens, whatever. And God's ways and what he chooses to do with his people is beyond our ability to comprehend. Sometimes we get discouraged when things in the short term seem really bad and I'm not saying they don't have it that doesn't have a huge effect on the lives of the people in the country. It absolutely does. But God always has a purpose and God always has something that he's accomplishing and I find that very comforting <laughs> because otherwise sometimes we're sitting there like what's happening with all the like purposeless craziness that is happening. And ultimately, all of it is going to be used by God. Even if it's not something that he specifically had done, he can still use that and his ways are beyond our ability to comprehend. And that is something that I think I'm going to continue to contemplate for the rest of my life. I also want to point you towards a really great resource. Jen Wilkin has a book called None Like Him. It outlines the characteristics that are completely unique to God. So there's characteristics that God has that people can also have. Like, for example, God is love and God loves his people and we can love and we can love God's people. And then there's characteristics that God has that no human being has. We just, it's beyond us. (laughs) So she outlines all these different qualities. I'm going to go ahead and read them out to you. And if you want to learn more about them, I highly recommend grabbing her book and reading because it's really helpful. So God is infinite. He doesn't have boundaries. He doesn't have limits. God is incomprehensible. We literally cannot comprehend him. He knows no bounds and no boundaries. And our minds, our finite brains cannot wrap ourselves around that completely. God is self-existent. God is self-sufficient. God is eternal. God is immutable. That means unchanging. God is omnipresent, meaning that he is everywhere present. And I just, when I think about that, it really blows my mind. Just like think for a second, God is with every single human being on the planet earth right now. And he's everywhere. He's also in the universe. He's out like where the stars are. He is, there's nowhere we can go that is outside God's purview. That is outside where God exists. God is omniscient. That means he's all-knowing. Like I said, he knows all the thoughts. And he loves us anyways. God is omnipotent. That means he's all-powerful. I know all these omnis are like, they sound so fancy, but it just means he's mighty, powerful. He has no competition. He is the strongest. And the last one she had is God is sovereign, meaning that he has all authority and power over the world, and also just over our lives, which can be really hard to deal with sometimes. Sometimes we really want that control, and ultimately, it's God who's in control. All right, friends, so let's summarize. Who is God? Again, we are going to spend our whole lives contemplating this, and we are never going to be able to fully answer that question because, remember, God is incomprehensible. He's beyond our ability to fully understand We can read about him and read about what he has to say. We can have a relationship with him. We can pray to him. We can read about him in the Bible. And ultimately still, we are never going to fully be able to say who is God. 
we just kind of like grasp at bits and pieces here and there and we we learn more and more every time we engage with God. We can see his love, his kindness, his mercy, his authority, his power, his justice, his rightness. God is all of those things. And sometimes we as humans are like, well, come on. How can God be all of those things at once? That's just not possible. But it is possible. Thank you for sticking with me. I'd like to close this out in a word of prayer here. Lord, thank you so much that you have left us your word to read, that we may know you, that we may understand you in small ways, even with our finite, limited understanding as humans. Thank you that you give us the gift of knowing you and that you love us so much. You care for our hearts and you do not abandon us. You pursue your people with tenderness and with love. And I pray for any woman who is listening right now that she would feel these qualities, all of your qualities, just hit her heart, that she would feel how strong and mighty you are and yet how tender and loving these qualities you have that seem like they don't go together, yet you put them together because you're God and you're incomprehensible. I pray uh, that you would be with us present and that anyone who's listening right now would feel your comfort and your strength and your nearness because you are God who is close to his people and you are God with a plan and with love and with such attentiveness. We love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for tuning in for another episode of the Revival Podcast for Millennial Women. If you got something meaningful out of today's episode, please subscribe and leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. These reviews help more women find the show, and it helps grow our community. Plus, these reviews help me see how God is using this podcast, and that, my friends, blesses me greatly. Oh, and be sure to check out the show notes for more ways to connect with me. See you next time.